0: Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I'm on top of the world looking down on creation, and the only explanation I can find is the love that I've found ever since you've been around. Your love's put me on top of the world. This is how the Apostle Paul felt when he had an experience with God that was beyond explanation, and yes, it may sound a little bit like that terrible 1970s Karen Carpenter song, Why are we just now hearing about Paul's extraordinary experience of being on top of the world? Well, you'll have to take that up with Paul. That must have been what his listeners, those at the church in Corinth, must have felt also. We learn in our scripture passage today that Paul has been sitting on top of this extraordinary story for 14 years. It's a... It's a story and a moment where Paul found himself in paradise, literally a third heaven, and that while he was there, he received a revelation from God that put him on top of the world and that he could not share with others. Again, we wonder, why are we just now hearing about this, Paul? We all, it's because Paul was having a moment with his church. We know about the church in Corinth, as we might about any church, that things can get tough and hard. The church in Corinth were having second thoughts about Paul's leadership. There were other leaders that might do just as good a job as Paul might have done. There were all kinds of disagreement and conflict at the church in Corinth, and they were not too welcoming of Paul's insight and direction. And let's just face it, Paul could be pretty darn cantankerous at that. So Paul, kind of fed up, he's pulled out the big guns. He's gonna brag about this experience of being on top of the world with God. And yet we find why Paul chooses not to share about this experience until this very moment. And that's where we arrive at our passage today. It's in a moment of desperation for Paul where he feels like he's got to show a kind of top of the resume kind of experience. A moment, even though it was old, where he had a transcendent, out-of-body experience with God. Y'all, it's gotten that bad that he has had to dig deep into the the memory bank of his spiritual experiences and pull it out and tell why he is qualified, even amidst all his faults, to be their leader. So as he prefaces to the church in Corinth that he's had this great experience and it was a long time ago, here's why he couldn't and wouldn't share about it. He says, Therefore, To keep me from being too elated by that top of the world experience, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, I am strong. This word from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 7 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's true. Today's message can easily be summed up in three cheesy song titles from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Top of the World by the Carpenters. Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. And Garth Brooks' classic, Unanswered Prayers. And yes, Grantham's, I'm going to challenge you to burst into song when we get to those appropriate moments. Paul says, To keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Yes, a thorn can have that much power. And for anybody who's been clearing brush in March of the year, you know how distracting and terrible it can be to grab some brush and pull it out with a handful of thorns. We know what that feels like. That, th- that sickening moment when we know that the next few hours are going to be distracted by the silliest, smallest of things. A thorn from a bush or a limb can hurt The context of this statement is that a thorn can torment us and can ultimately keep us from being too elated, particularly for Paul, from the the vision and the revelation that he had experienced some years before. Now, to put in our terms, Paul is going to be knocked down a peg so that he doesn't get too full of himself. This is a popular phrase, a thorn in my side. We have described circumstances, developments, people, even our own children as being thorns in our side. The word that's used here to describe a thorn can also be translated as steak. No, I'm not talking about grilling steak. I'm talking about a steak that would have been used to bring torment or even execution. Regardless of how this word might be used here, the sense is that a thorn serves as an unpleasant distraction. So let's skip to the million-dollar question here, right? What exactly is this thorn that Paul had been given? And the simple answer is, We don't know. Because Paul never tells us, which is interesting. Paul doesn't tell us exactly what the thorn is that he feels like he had been given. Something that had served as a distraction and a pain in the neck and the side for such a long time. We don't know. So we're left to speculate. And more often than not, to project our own thorns and weaknesses onto Paul. But I did some homework for us. And essentially, scholars over the centuries have identified that the thorn that Paul had was either one or a combination of three different kinds of weaknesses. The first, most straightforward, is that he had some kind of physical ailment. It might have been epilepsy, some have posited. Perhaps eye problems. Or maybe even a speech impediment We see that particularly in his conversation with the church at Corinth, that he might not have been a very eloquent speaker like others. Perhaps he suffered from migraine headaches. Again, we don't know. Some have suggested that the weakness that Paul was tormented by was of a more personal nature, that he may have suffered from depression or sexual temptations. Others believe that the weakness he experienced was more interpersonal, that is, that it was a specific person, an individual that he experienced as a thorn in his side, or perhaps the persecution that he experienced at the hands of his own people, the Jews, or maybe it's a reference to the opposition that he felt in his own ministry. It's a great mystery for those of us who want to understand Paul and his words and his ministry and his travels. What was it that plagued him? For we feel like if we knew what plagued him, we might be able to identify better with him and that we would understand with greater depth his testimony of faith. The question of where this thorn came from is of note listen to what he says a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of satan to torment me to keep me from being too elated who gave it to him well it's one of two different sources god on the one hand or satan I'm going to warn you, this is a bit problematic, this idea that God might give us the weakness that we have. But before we get too tripped up on that idea, let's consider that there may be something to the premise that God allowed Satan to give him this thorn. Now that has some weight biblically. Many of us are familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament, a tricky and problematic story for people of faith because in it, God famously allows Satan to exert pain over his servant Job, first with his household, then with Job himself. We also know that Satan, biblically, punishes with physical torment. So yes, the devil may be in the details, but Satan may also be in that gimpy hip of yours also, regardless of how it got there. The thorn developed almost as a condition. It was not something that it seems like that he always had, but something that Accompanied his maturation in the faith, that as he was given this extraordinary revelation of being on top of the world, that's your Q, D. Grantham, that he also felt this great sense of limitation and of pain. And this thorn in his side hurt. Paul wanted it gone, he makes that very clear. It was humiliating and humbling, and it caused Paul to feel weak. So in this way, we learn that this thorn that Paul had been given is both curse and blessing. It kept him humble, and yet it also, as we learn, became a way for God's power to be made known. So this is the moment in the sermon where we stop and we reflect for a moment on the thorn that we have been given. What haunts you? What nags at you? What, what do you feel handicaps you and that you might identify as a weakness? Paul prayed for the thorn to be taken away, and I bet you have too. He says, three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. Paul asks Jesus, in the Greek it's kurios, Lord. He gets personal here. Paul appeals to Jesus three times for this thorn, this ailment, this weakness, this torment to leave him. It's a threefold prayer. It's interesting. We know that biblically numbers have great power. The number one, the number three, the number seven, the number twelve, the number forty. Jesus prays a threefold prayer. Do you remember it? It's on the moment, the eve of Jesus' own great torment. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays three times for The cup to pass from him, that he will not be forced to drink a cup of torment, that he will not have to wear a crown of thorns. And as we learn, God answers Paul's prayer in just the same way as he answered his own son Jesus' prayer. And it's a no. This is something that I find interesting. When I read this passage, there's clearly this idea that what Paul is describing has happened in the past. I was given this thorn. I prayed three times for it to be taken from me. Paul is conveying that he has come to peace with this weakness. There is a sense of acceptance here that I find a bit breathtaking. Who could say the same about our own wrestlings with God, about the thorn that we have in our sides? How many of us continue to pray far more than just three times that it be changed or taken away? Paul here seems to bear witness to the fact that he did in fact pray that this thorn be taken away, but that God said no. And that he has come to accept this reality and to live within those limitations. This, to me, is a testimony of resolve and a faith, frankly, that I don't have because I don't like my thorns. And I pray continually for God to pluck them out. What's it like to not have your prayer answered? Certainly, I can't be the only one who has prayed for God to do or not do something and that God has not given me what I wanted, right? I'll tell you what it has felt like for me. It's heartache and despair and overwhelming sadness that unfolds when the way that I think is best does not happen. But even in my darkest moments, I've got to acknowledge that even in the midst of that heartache, there is also at times a glimmer of light that seems to accompany that dead end. Screenwriter Aaron Sorkin crafts this story that you may have heard It's about a 16-year-old boy living in a village a long, long time ago ago, and about how he received a horse as a gift on his 16th birthday. The villagers rejoice and say, how wonderful. But the Zen master there in the village says, we'll see. One day, the boy is riding on this horse and the, the horse throws him and he He injures his legs and he's unable to walk. And the villagers look at this tragedy and say, how terrible. And the Zen master says, we'll see. Sometime later, a war breaks out and all the young men in the village are called to fight except for this young man because he cannot walk. And the villagers exclaim, how wonderful. And the Zen master says, We'll see. Does everything really fall apart if God doesn't give us what we wish for? (laughs) We'll see. God responds to Paul's prayer, and it's a no. He tells him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. The word grace there means a merciful kindness, a steadfast love that is revealed in real time and in practical ways. My grace is sufficient for you. In the midst of your great weakness, my grace, my steadfast love is enough. (laughs) For power, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Power that is made most evident in Jesus' own reality. Jesus, who himself, through obedience to the Father, allows himself to wear a crown of thorns, the pinnacle of torment and weakness that God redeems and resurrects and demonstrates. Extraordinary power at the point of Jesus' supreme weakness and pain. I mean, talk about redemption. Y'all, it it feels like God is showing off here in this moment. As though He's saying, You want to know how strong I am? I will use your darkest sorrow, your most nagging irritation, your greatest weakness for something good. God's power. To redeem and to resurrect is not limited to our point of death, which seems to get all of our attention, particularly in our own Christian tradition as Baptists. We make our profession of faith, we choose to be present in the life of church. And why? Because we are hopeful that God will redeem us at the point of our great weakness, death. But because of Jesus' own testimony, In the story that we talked about last week of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus clearly states that he is the resurrection and the life. Not at the point of our death, but in life. God is refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble. God's love and power for redemption and resurrection is sufficient for our everyday disappointments, tragedies, and difficulties. God's power and strength is big enough to overwhelm even the darkest season, even the lowest moments, even the most significant griefs. A life with Jesus is one where our weaknesses are used for God's glory. Why would we want anything less? God flips the script. When we are weak, God is at his strongest. So Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Y'all, there is something liberating to imagine that we can live within our limitations. It isn't completely antithetical to our our culture, and certainly was in Paul's day. The idea of weakness in the Roman culture was anathema. It was something to to hide, it was a point of shame. And it is for us, us also this sense that our weaknesses are something that we we craft well in advance before we get to that interview because we know the question is coming. Tell us, Dr. Mathis, what is your greatest strength? And tell us, what is your greatest weakness? Oh, we've worked that out long before we ever sat there with the committee. We've got that all down pat, this humble brag, so that we can make sure that even our weakness can, can be attractive to others We've become very good at this. But imagine if we could live within the limitations of our weaknesses. I don't sail, (laughs) so I'm not an expert on on boating and watercrafts. But if you've ever noticed a sailboat, you'll, you'll know that it's been created with the intention of working with its strengths and also honoring its weaknesses. A sailboat knows exactly what it is able to do and accomplish and is completely dependent upon the forces at hand. The pilot of a sailboat knows that it cannot make the boat do something that was not made or created for. And so at its best, it works in full awareness of its own weaknesses It cannot sail against the wind. It cannot float where it cannot sail. We know this, and yet it's a breathtaking reminder to us that our weaknesses can be greater teachers than our strengths. So Paul says, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I love that phrase, may dwell within me. It's a reference to the Old Testament idea that a God would want to tabernacle with us. That is that Jesus would pitch his tent with us. He reminds us of of God's people in the wilderness and how God's presence was made known because he literally was in a tent of meeting with them, one that Moses would go into to speak clearly with God and to hear God's voice and be in God's presence. I mean, that's what God does to and with us in Jesus. God decides to tabernacle with us, to come and to dwell with and among us even and especially in our weaknesses. What a statement of faith. What would it look like if our lives were honest and authentic about our weaknesses and our thorns as sources of pride in God's redemptive power? Paul says, because of all this, I'm content with weaknesses. Can you imagine that? Paul says, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ, for whenever I am weak, I am strong. Paul became content with these limitations because they were seen as opportunities for God to be strong. And make no mistake, y'all, Paul was a flawed individual, just as Peter was. Just as Jonah was, just as David was, just as Elijah was, just as Moses was, just as Jacob was, just as Abraham was, just as you are, and just as I am. Even and especially in all of our brokenness, consider how God's strength has been made known. Writer Vance Havner puts it this way. God uses broken things, broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It's the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It's Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. This is my body, broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant, shed for you do this in remembrance of me because it's true when we are weak we are strong amen